I'm Stephen Clark, President and CEO of the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, and I'm here with Kerry Miller, VP of Operations, and this is our podcast, Bites of Information That You Want to Hear. And we're back with the MRA Together We Win podcast. Kerry, another year, another calendar turn. It's now 2023. How did that happen? You know what? 2022, 2021, 2020, in the rearview mirror, Steve. Whole, a whole new ball game, a whole new set of, uh, of challenges and, and, and opportunities. I think it's, uh, I mean, we're looking at a different environment, right? Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, it seems that there's a, there's a new opportunity around, around every corner. Uh, you know, it's, it's a quieter time right now for the restaurant industry, although it still seems that people are still going out a little bit, but quieter time. Hopefully it's an opportunity to spend some of those gift cards that people found in their stockings and in their gift exchanges and, and get out there and, and keep the momentum going with restaurants. Yeah, I think people are still looking to gather. I mean, it may not be as intense as it is in December, right? Coming out of Thanksgiving into Christmas and the holidays and stuff like that. But I just think there's this momentum behind the uh, customer that they want to be together. They want to ga- gather. They want to do things in person. They want to mix it up. It's not the same old, same old, the same old four people going out to the same restaurant for dinner all the time. Absolutely. And th- there's a lot of new opportunities, new restaurants opening uh, all over the place. And, you know, there, there still continues to be excitement in the industry. And, you know, guests want to go out and they, they want to dine. And you know what? Taking a deep breath and catching our breath is not necessarily a bad thing either. Not at all. As a matter of fact, a couple uh, on the guests we talked to today, a couple of them are going to bring up the fact of uh, of having um, you know the opportunity to do it more European style. I mean, the Piazza dining that we're going to talk about is on you know restaurant. I mean, where there's more outdoor dining, and that's a European thing where they've got a big these big uh, uh, areas that you you know have you know, 40 tables outside and and, and having a more fam- family orientated uh, dining experience. So it's going to be great to talk to those two folks today for sure. And we have our first ever uh, rebellion in the Sprague Energy Lightning Round where people uh, rejected our suggestions and actually offered up their own suggestion. There's one consistent one that we're hearing about the desserts, I think. Absolutely. We might have to reevaluate things in the lab of the MRA podcast. Uh, that's okay. We What's going on that. with the MRA? You've been, you and your team have been very busy uh, in, in the membership world and, and driving resources to restaurateurs. You have a number of new things out there. What's going on? I'll tell you what. I, I think it's... The, uh, I talk about this. I think, you know, this is probably one of the coolest times in the industry that I've ever seen. I think that with all of the opportunities and challenges that we've had, I mean, the restaurant tours lifted their heads up to new opportunities to help their business grow, right? And it's given us the opportunity to kind of embrace some online things. So one of the things I've always been a proponent of is workforce development. And I think uh, the, and the development of, of employees and we ran across this uh, great uh, online training uh, platform that has these modules of how to be a, a buster, how to be a server, how to be a prep cook in six to 12 minute videos. Uh, and we've white labeled it, labeled it as an MRI, as an MRI event. And people night right now can get the same level of education and training and consistency in that, that you would get at an Applebee's or, or, or the bigger companies that have huge training departments. So we've rolled that out. Uh, it's the MRI online certification employee training program, uh, subscription based. We've got a bunch of customers, a bunch of uh, restaurants that have already, got in line and signed up and, uh, and it's, uh, all good news coming back. I think another thing that hit us, we looked up and all of a sudden energy prices were going through the roof and we have these incredible, great energy partners that we powwowed with. We Sprague energy, uh, national grid and, um, complete energy solutions. Uh, we sat down and we said, 
what can we do to make sure that the restaurateur A is educated about what's the freight train that's on the track that's going to be these energy prices and stem the tide on how to do that. So we built, we built out uh, the energy hub, the Massachusetts Restaurant Association Energy Hub, which will get you in front of these folks. They'll come in and they'll do, aud- aud- I guess audit's a bad word in their, in their world, assessments of what's going on inside the four walls of your, of your uh, restaurant. Restaurants are one of the largest energy users on the planet per square foot. And they, they'll give you a plan. I mean, there's no obligation. There's no cost associated with it until you click, click, click uh, play and uh, make some changes. But on the energy that usage that you've got inside the four walls of your restaurant, how to make that better and how to contract out the commodities. So you don't have a, you want a line item on your P&L that's static and doesn't jump up and down so you can budget against it and you can actually figure out how do you make money on the back end of the day. So that's available to the Massachusetts Restaurant Association members and everybody else. I mean, we're making it available to anybody that wants to be under the tent. And then I think through your works, the Health Connector has developed a uh, program for uh, medical uh, health insurance programs specific to Emory members, right? Absolutely. And anyone that has, uh, you know, less than 50 employees, the health of the cost of health insurance continues to go up. This is a way to find some affordable programs and there's some uh, dedicated uh, call lines and dedicated website for MRA members. And there's also a, you know, the only, uh, a rebate around uh, wellness that's only available in this program. So just a way of, of trying to drive uh, manageable lines li- lines on the P&L. As, as a P&L gets stretched, a lot of different items that you might not have thought about that are ancillary down the bottom, you know, you could actually find some real savings. And so driving those to MRA members is, is kind of the evolution of the MRA as well Is you know, we've always had good benefits, but it's, you know, what else is out there? What are the ones, what are the pain points that are causing right now? I see on the cake, I throw the 401k plan, the MEP plan out there. And, and look, I think that I, if we could get a message out to people is you don't have to figure this stuff out for yourself. I mean, we're in the we're in the business of creating great solutions for our members and beyond. Um, you know, whatever it is, pick up the phone and call us. Let's get started. Get the conversation started, and we'll and we'll make it user friendly, cost effective, and impactful for you when, when we put these things together. So absolutely, and we we'll encourage you to reach out to the team, jump on the website, whatever. Um, you know, th- there are more things for you that you probably didn't even realize that are available. Or, you know, with with your friends at the MRA. Uh, what do we have going on today at the uh, on the MRA podcast? Interesting stuff. I mean, J.P. Martinetti from, uh, you know, that, that's a pretty f- famous name here in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, they have gone to, to classic Italian and opened up Sognano, which means dream in Italian. And they food, wine, uh, environment, uh, the, the f- service, uh, doing wine dinners. I mean, J.P.'s going to walk us through this new restaurant and their passion. Uh, and uh, I think well, both Steve and I were thirsty and hungry, but that by the time we uh, had the conversation with JP. Absolutely. And and we also have Renee Gilbo. Carrie, tell us a little about Renee. So interestingly enough, I mean, this we've, we've done a poor job in the restaurant industry talking about the good things you can do if you put your mind to it and you can utilize the things that come, ac- come across and grow your career. Renee is a person that, that uh, never finished high school, um, Ended up being going to the Cordon Bleu in Paris, uh, created a great career for herself. She actually was with uh, Compass Group that was managing the Google account where they're doing 65,000 meals a day. Um, been an executive, done all those things. She's now in the consulting business. But what she's trying to do in the consulting business is to talk, tell people that, you know, with all the bad press that we get out there in the restaurant industry, this is a story, backstory that we're not telling loudly enough on how, if you put your mind to it, this is the industry that you can 
without a full-blown college education, you can go and you can become an executive. And so she's the book as a bunch of executives that are running billion dollar companies have pretty much done that than that in her consulting businesses to do that. She'll be joining, she'll also be joining us at the New England Food Show at that on center stage to talk about that on April 3rd, uh, Monday, April 3rd. So she's interesting, very, very interesting woman. And the name of her book is A Taste of Opportunity, An Insider's Guide to Boosting Your Career, Making Your Mark and Changing the Food Industry from Within. Coming up next, we have J.P. Martinetti of the brand new Sonio restaurant in Woburn, Massachusetts. JP, thanks for coming on the MRA podcast. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So talk to us about uh, a brand new restaurant opening in September of 2022. Obviously, you uh, had plans to open this restaurant before the pandemic, and then there was a little pandemic out in the way. What type, Talk about the process of A, opening a restaurant you know, post-pandemic, but B, what type of changes did you incorporate into the restaurant prior to opening that you maybe thought made sense in February of 2019 or 2020 that don't make sense now in September of, uh, oh, now we're in December, but September of 2022? Kind of talk about that process. Sure. So, uh, Sonia, we're a couple months old at this point. Um, we're, uh, we're located in Woburn, um, right at the Winchester line, but much, much of what we experienced, um, in, in planning and with the pandemic, um, it, it kind of gave us, I wouldn't say an, an opportunity, but in fact, that it turned out to be an opportunity that we were nearly done the design, um, right when the pandemic hit and, and looking at starting construction. So that time period gave us an opportunity to step back, kind of see how the market may change, how the consumer's experience may change. Um, and a lot of that, as you might expect, was, was uh, directed at the inside-outside experience. Um, so it really gave us a chance to look at what we were offering for outdoor dining um, and expand upon that. And, and certainly we did. We, we took a look at our product um, what we believe is the you know piazza style seating, outdoor seating, which is traditional to Italian fare, um, and expand upon it. So we've got a 44 seat outdoor dining, um, covered dining, heated dining that really allows us to capitalize on you know three plus seasons of time, um, and allows our customer to have that outdoor experience whether or not they're they're comfortable uh, inside or out, but to really incorporate the outside with the inside. So we've got. Um, retracting doors that kind of open up our interior bar uh, in the restaurant to that outdoor dining. So to your, to your point, yeah, definitely gave us a chance to uh, uh, address some uh, considerations and, and build upon them. JP, for, uh, for a guy that loves Italy, uh, we just spent 10 days there this summertime and I totally get it, right? I totally get it. So we did, uh, we were in Rome, uh, Florence, and we did the Amalfi Coast. Beautiful. And I saw, I saw a lot, I saw a lot of that. And I saw a lot of the things that you've got in your design. Um, talk to me about the, the, you know, the, the motivation, where it came from. I mean, I'm sure that you guys have done the same thing. Uh, and sure. So, um, no, we, we've done it. I, uh, um, I'd be a full-time guest there if uh, the option was available to me. But um, no, our, our look at this. So this is really um, Italian. Uh, the Italian word for dream is sogno. Now, this is the creation. It's the dream of my father, Ron Martinetti. Um, you know, while, while an attorney and real estate developer by trade, um, we've owned and operated a number of businesses over the years. 
Uh, Sonia's the realization of that dream. It's the the look to create a warm, welcoming, authentic Italian experience, part of what we we grew up with uh, in our home, and, and all of that stems from the table. Um, I'm one of eight children, so I grew up in a very active household. Um, we were all actively involved in uh, competitive sports, so our weekends were, were perhaps busier than weekdays and school days. Um, but Sunday was really the opportunity for for our whole family to come together over a meal, um, enjoy a delicious meal in the company of family and friends uh, in a comfortable setting. Now, part of that experience was a constant rotating group of participants. You know, it always had the the family, but you'd have uncles, cousins, the parish priest, longtime friends, acquaintances. Uh, it didn't matter. Everybody was offered a seat at the table, the same expansive selection of food, wine, treated his family. Um, my, my mother, who um, has tragically passed uh, six years now, um, she instilled that legacy in us, that joyous, welcoming, unrelenting hospitality. Um, that's what Sonia is. That's the dream that we seek to provide to all our guests. Pretty darn good dream. I tell you, you just feel it when you get off the, you, you get off the, we are so segmented here when we dine and for somebody to do, create that Italian experience of family, uh, hats off to you because I know when I'm there, uh, you see people interacting, coming and going, right? Uh, and here we're, we're kind of insulary, right? Before same people go out to dinner at the same restaurant every weekend in and out. And I like the fact that you've got this uh, family Italian experience going, going on over in Woburn. That's pretty awesome. No, it's it's familial. That that's the uh, the intent is that you know on any given night you can either have an intimate dinner in the main dining room, uh, or grab a seat at a, a plush high top banquet uh, by the bar. You know, listen to the laughter, jovial clinking of glasses, watch the activity in the kitchen. Uh, there's a little bit of something for everybody. You talk a little bit about the modern guest, and, and, and I know you definitely have some conveniences and, and amenities for the modern guest. Talk about some of the things you've incorporated into your restaurant that kind of attracts the new guest, uh, that, you know, the, the, the new diner of, you know, uh, of, of any age, really, because we're so, so technology addicted. But, you know, we have this whole new generation of people that have grown up with their phone in one hand and, and their glass of wine in the other hand. Now, you know, how, how do we combine those two to create an intimate experience? You, you combine those two with uh, phone chargers at every seat at the bar. Um, you know, it, it uh, we, we do have phone chargers at the bar, but um, our our look at it was everything to hit all the small conveniences that, that folks may seek out, um, whether it's making sure that we've got hooks um, underneath every bar stool, you know, folks travel with um, purses, bags, what have you, uh, a place to put things, be comfortable you know, not have that experience where you don't know where to put something or you don't know how to do it. It's similar to your home, right? So you, when you're in your home or you're in, in, you know, our family's home, somebody takes their jacket off. There's something to do with it. How can we make your experience more comfortable? And to your point about um, COVID, much of that time was used to really address some of those considerations, address furniture, you know, what is the most comfortable furniture that we can come up with? Um, our intent was not to have you uh, quick in and out of your chair. It was how do we make this an experience where people look around, they touch, they feel, they see everything is comfortable and welcoming, but also convenient. If you, if you haven't seen pictures of, of the restaurant in the interior of the restaurant or the exterior of the restaurant, you got to check it out because you guys went way above and beyond on the design of this thing. I mean, talk about an inviting atmosphere. I mean, I'm looking at the banquettes and the tables and the exterior stuff. 
Uh, great design uh, on on the on the interior and exterior of the building. Talk, so when you have a dream about a restaurant, often it stands around family, food, and beverage, right? Yep. Let's talk a little bit about the menu. What where the menu generates from, and what people should expect if they come there to eat. Sure. So our our menu and you know part of the dream uh, and the realization thereof was um, to create a menu that offers food from all regions of Italy. Right. As you know, Italy is very regional. Uh, the food that you may taste in one region differs significantly from another. Um, you know, we're from just east of Naples, so we have that traditional southern Italian fare, those red sauces. But our menu offers a wide breadth of options. I mean, you've got um, every, anything and everything you can think of. So a number of our dishes, uh, starting with our antipasti, um, one of our favorites is a grilled octopus. Um, it's, a, it's a sizable portion of octopus. Uh, with some nduja, fennel, lemon, parsley, crispy potatoes. It's light. It's refreshing. Great way to start the meal. We have some of your traditional dishes, your frito misto, you know, a fried calamari. We've introduced grilled sh- or fried shrimp, crispy vegetables, a Calabrian chili, um, something that provides a little bit different than what uh, the typical consumer might expect. Um, but some of those hearty Italian dishes that folks um, who've traveled Italy, who've been to the different regions, um, may see, recognize, and expect as well. So really trying to hit on all regions of Italy to give folks a taste. And part of that coordinates with our uh, our wine menu because we've got uh, wines available from all different regions of Italy. So there's opportunities to, to pair your dish with the wine from that particular re- region uh, to have you coming back for more. So we're, we're going to start in northern Italy this evening. We'll be back next week and we're going to do a tour of Sicily. So we've got a number of different options. That's awesome. You know, you can't have a great Italian meal without a great pastry at the end. Uh, I, I, I hear you have a great pastry program. Talk to us about what's coming up at Sonio. Uh, talk about the pastry program. I think you have uh, some wine dinners that you you pair with, you know, uh, the, the chef's uh, decisions. You know, what, what are some of the non seven o'clock dinner opportunities we can have at Sonio? Sure. Sure. So we've done, um, to date, we've done three wine dinners. Um, they've been wildly successful. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to do. And, and we love it because, um, uh, chef Menard in coordination with our uh, chef de cuisine, chef Julian and our pastry chef, Emily Nikozak, they, they have really melded well together. And what we love is that's an opportunity for them to really showcase their skills. Um, we do have rotation on the menu. So you can come in on any given night and get something different off of our menu. But um, this is really a do exactly as you please, get every ingredient that you could ever want. Um, Our most recent one, which actually I had the pleasure of participating in, was a Northern Italian truffle dinner, five-course meal. We had some great wines from uh, Bertani, um, Fontana Freda, Ferrari. Um, These are the Amarones, the Barolos. These are some top-end wines that they paired with some unbelievable dishes. It's just, it's a pleasure to experience. These are one-off experiences. And uh, Chef Emelina Kozak, our pastry chef, um, came up with this truffle dessert, um, which literally was the dis- a display of mushrooms um, that um, were all handmade. Everything was absolutely delectable. She's a, a very impressive. There's consistently new desserts on the menu and um, it keeps me coming back for more. I'm always wondering what's next. 
I know it's only 12 o'clock here, but when somebody says truffles and Barolo in the same sentence, I get thirsty and hungry really quick. <laughs> also, we shouldn't we shouldn't record these podcasts around noon either, yeah. you know, getting hungry here. Yeah, we'll we'll have to do uh, in-person podcasts. Absolutely. That's not a bad there idea. All right. Are you ready for the Sprague Energy Lightning Round? Coming I'll give at it you. a run. All sure. right. Let's see how you do. Seinfeld, Modern Family, or The Office? Ooh, um, I'd have to go with Seinfeld. I'm a classic guy. Okay. It's the rare Saturday. We have nothing on the schedule. What are we going to find you doing? Uh, depending on what time of day. You got to give me a time of day. All right. We'll start at noon and then we'll evolve to four o'clock. All right. Noon, <laughs> noon time. I'm passing through Sonia. I'm checking in to see how they're preparing for the evening. Um, and I probably have one or two of my little ones with me and they may sneak, sneak a piece of pizza. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? That's a great one. Um, I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. Okay. I think uh, what he's done in Boston is absolutely uncharacteristic and well beyond a uh, Hall of Fame experience. That answer continues to evolve as the years <laughs> go by. And, sure. you know, we keep revisiting it. That's why we keep it there. Uh, it's, it's still a relevant question. Uh, we don't have favorite restaurants uh, at the MRA. We love all the restaurants. But what's your favorite genre of restaurant? So I'm an Italian yeah. or steakhouse guy. <laughs> okay. those, are, those are my two favorites. I thought we were headed in that direction. I just I yeah. wasn't sure. Uh, Sneaking suspicion. Absolutely. What's the last concert you attended or what is the next concert you will be attending? It's a very timely question. On Saturday, my wife and I attended Andrea Bocelli at the TD Garden. Oh, absolutely. Very cool. Great. Nice. Nice. Uh, beer, wine, whiskey, or something mixed? Wine. Um, uh, that's an easy answer. Uh, Amaroni and Barolo are the two favorites. Absolutely. Uh, Massachusetts dessert, a fribble, a Twinkie, a table talk pie, or a fluffernutter? I am a table talk pie guy. Okay. No question. Absolutely. And final question, get you out on this one. Uh, what Boston team is most likely to be on a duck boat parade celebrating a championship through the streets of Boston? I have to go with the Bruins. They're off to a hot streak, and I hope it continues. we got to keep it going. All right, awesome. JP, thank you very much for coming on the MRA podcast. He's JP Martinetti, Sonio, the dream of Woburn. Everyone needs to go check it out. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, JP. This was awesome. And we have Renee Gilbo, founder of Assayer Food Consultant and author of the upcoming book, Taste of Opportunity. And we are joined by Renee Gilbo. She is the founder of Assayer Food Consulting and the author of the upcoming book, Taste of Opportunity. And I know there's a subtitle on there as well, but Renee, but I'm not going to get into that yet. Renee, thank you very much for coming on the MRA podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So Renee, I, w I was blessed by our, our, our partner in crime, Chris Mullen, making the introduction to you a little, <laughs> a little way back. And we've got a saying here, the Mass Restaurant Association, you can start in the dish room and end up in the boardroom. And, and your story kind of mirrors the fact that, you know, and again, I'll let you get into it, but never finished high school, you know, uh, Cheesecake Factory decided not to, to, to part part ways with you as a server. And then- California Pizza Kitchen. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was one of the C words out of California. We apologize to our friends <laughs> at Cheesecake, Cheesecake Factory. Factory. I'm sure they'll want full ownership of firing you when I was a teenager. <laughs> Yeah, and you end up running food services for Google, which is one of the biggest f providers of uh, meals to anybody on the planet on a daily basis. So, I mean, give us the CNN version of how, from soup to nuts, how you, how you started off and how you got to where you were. Sure. Well, I mean, like everybody who I think finds themselves in food, um, you know, without a plan, it was really just kind of um, serendipitous and following my passion. Um, with a lot of, you know, twists and turns along the way. I think 
um, you know, stepping into just the idea that um, there was this whole world of food that I didn't know anything about where pies were coming out of factories, you know, 10,000 pies an hour and, you know, massive truckloads of ingredients were being sold to manufacturers. And that was really my first step into food. And I got that shot by, um, you know, setting up a small business accounting system program for an ingredient broker. And as soon as I got a, a sense of what he was working on, I was so captivated. I basically made him a deal. And I said, look, if you pay me $400 a week, I will run your office and, you know, double your revenue or, you know, some completely off the rails agreement around, you know, what I would do for his business. And he went for it, <laughs> bless his heart. And, um, I ended up working side by side with him for about five and a half years. And so not only did I have my restaurant experience at that point, which had been, you know, kind of not fortuitous because I was just the worst server on the planet. Um, but then I had this real, like different experience about, um, you know, kind of large scale, high volume mass manufacturing food and all of the inputs that went into making those products, which I'd never thought about. You know, you go to the the, the store right now and how many apple pies are we seeing everywhere? Well, where are they coming from? You know, I never thought about it. <laughs> so that was just a really fun way to step into the food world. And um, when I hit my mid twenties, I realized that I wanted to become a chef. And I thought, you know, there's one shot that I'm going to get at this. And if I'm going to do it, I really want to do it right. So I want to go to culinary school because I didn't go to college and I didn't graduate high school. And through some relationships and starts and stops and mentorships, I got pointed to um, the Le Cordon Bleu program in Paris, France. And um, that's where I did my culinary training. If there's anywhere anywhere to do some culinary training, Paris, France is a pretty good place at the top of the at list. At the Cordon Bleu. <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was such a phenomenal experience. And I was so lucky because just living and breathing the culture and the environment was such a change from coming from you know American food culture. And just seeing the respect for taking the time to have a proper lunch and going to your favorite bakery to find your favorite baguette and, you know, how that was so ingrained in the day-to-day lifestyle and farmer's markets that were outside your door. And, you know, it was just a real awakening for what a lifestyle and a culture around food could be like. And I wanted to live in that. So I absolutely loved my experience there. And it changed everything for me. Um, you know, it really opened up so much of what was possible and, and started to really kind of fine tune my food values, which, which was really fun. So I worked in Europe and I cooked, um, in in Paris and I cooked in London and I really wanted to become an executive chef. I was just so set on having that happen. And I came back to the States and I became an executive chef and I absolutely hated it. It was like my worst nightmare had come true. And what I hadn't done was think about work-life balance in a way that was really going to make me happy and bring joy and, and rest um, you know, that, that I wanted in my life so that I could be creative and, and do things that, that I wanted to have time to do. So that was where my, my next pivot went into to play of like, okay, well now how do I marry like the business procurement financial side of food with the creative culinary beautiful experience side of food. And that's where I found that there was this whole other career path called food and beverage management that I had never heard about before. And 
you know, I mean, how does anybody ever learn anything until you just go hearing from somebody else or happening upon it by mistake or somebody graciously guides you to it? Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's where that started. One of your passion projects is building a sustainable food system and talk about some of your efforts around that and, and, and what that means and, and how you go about incorporating that in your day to day. Yeah. So, um, as a chef, I, I really started to kind of, you know, build those food values. And, um, it was an interesting exposure to work through food values and to develop food principles for large international organizations who were serving, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of meals. And to start to figure out my, not only complicity, but my responsibility and what menu choices were happening and how we were developing products and how we could all be a part of you know, solving these larger systemic issues. And um, I was very fortunate to get um, asked to be a part of the Los Angeles Food Policy Council when it was uh, an emerging task force to see if there was uh, an opportunity to help kind of further a lot of the goals around environmental standards, labor practices, you know, immigration rights, and, and to kind of um, create a holistic approach to this. And, and I think it was just a real eye-opener that not only can you work in a function in food, like you know, be a chef or work in procurement, but you can also be a part of making decisions that drive those values forward and you know, work with people who really make their entire lives around making things better and more promising for future generations. And I was really, really attracted to that because I felt like there was real meaning and purpose in that work and it was something that was important to me. So you know what the pro you know what the problem is when interviewing a person like yourself, Renee. Hmm. We've checked so many damn boxes off. We got to figure out the ones we need to talk about the most, right? I mean, <laughs> you've been God, you've done it all. Um, and, and and you know, I know that uh, I, I want to get to the consulting aspects of it because you and I chatted a little bit last week about you know the difference between tactical training and the cultural the cultural aspects of what you're talking about in your in your book and in your in your business so yeah uh, can can you dig into that a little bit yeah absolutely so i went through a lot of different corporate um corporate roles and worked with a lot of really like major international brands and well-known brands and i was you know at a, a chapter in my career where i had the opportunity to break off and start consulting full time and um i was really hesitant at first because I thought I would really miss a team environment and be in that kind of like thriving, energetic, robust, um, you know, kind of dynamic that I that I really love about foods and, and organizations that that deliver food experiences. But I also realized that I could really specifically work with organizations that were values aligned, who were trying to do good things in the world to help their workforces you know, thrive and achieve more to create access and, and better nutritional options for communities. And so it, it was a really wonderful pivot. And, um, you know, what's, what's been fun about being a business owner, especially in the last few years, is really aligning resources to bring the projects that I really care about and the people that I work with really care about to life. And so one of them has been just a really um, kind of large industry project around cracking open the wild opportunity that truly exists when you make a career in the food world. And it's one of those like wild mysteries. I'm not sure why we don't talk about it um, and why the narrative has kind of always really skewed toward the negative dark side of food. And let's be real, you know, the things we hear about the food world that are, that are not okay and are broken and 
toxic are real and true and worthy of conversation. But what's also worthy of conversation is the wild opportunity that anybody from any walk of life can have if they're willing to commit to learning and, um, you know, walking through all of the different levels and roles and responsibilities and skills to get into a place where you can earn yourself, uh, you know, a real leadership position and, and grab that authority so that you can become the change you want to see. So that's one of the beautiful things about this industry that I think we don't celebrate enough is, is that it's all wild opportunity. It's all available to you. It's just kind of also all up to you too, which is also something that I think we have to work on. So we've, we've all gone through self-reflection and evolving, especially in the restaurant industry uh, post-pandemic. How has things changed for you in a, in a, in a post-pandemic world and wh- where are you seeing the evolution go and, and you know, how does that play into your business and, and, and your long, longer-term strategy uh, of success? Yeah, that's a really big question. I think the simplest answer I could give to you that is that I want to work on projects that drive hope that drive inspiration and make things easier for everybody. And that's the space that I want to be in now as I look at, you know, kind of passing the baton for these future generations who are coming up the ranks right now. We've had a real shortage of hope, I think, in our industry or understanding what's possible, um, you know, as you take a step into direction to the left or to the right. And and, you know, let's be real, our industry has been entirely pummeled, you know, through a washing machine and now dryer cycle, you know, for the last three years as well. So, um, you know, I think to to be able to work on projects that help people understand their their power and their capabilities and to drive skills and resilience and to create agency so that, you know, teams and leaders and employees alike all understand the power that they individually hold and how to kind of harness that collectively for good. So I'm very focused on inter, interpersonal skills development right now and leadership and, and management tools so that, you know, we kind of crack open this, this whole other side of growing people in really fun and responsible ways. As, as an industry, we've done a terrible job on telling that story and, 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 and shame on us. And we've allowed for the, you know, the naysayers. And again, to the, to the point that there's stuff out there that needs to be taken care of, right? But we've not done the good, uh, a very good job of telling the opportunities for somebody to come into this industry, but work hard, right? And I know your book kind of outlines a lot of these things. And take, check the boxes that you need to check and end up with a leadership position and making a bunch of money, right? I mean, there's a career. There's a career associated with that. And it's not rocket science and it's not a mystery, but we've done a poor job of talking about the successes of people that have done that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just, it's fascinating to me because I, you know, didn't go to college. I always thought there was some class that I missed that kind of laid this all out for people and that they were all in the know. And I was just like really trying to figure this out as I went along over all the years. But the truth is, is that nobody has some linear, perfect plan and career path. And, and, you know, every single person that I've talked to for for the project, I was, I was fortunate to interview 15 industry experts a lot of them, you know, billion-dollar leaders, like five billion-dollar leaders amongst them. Um, nobody's path was perfect or linear or expected. Everybody had hard knocks, and and it was, you know, kind of persevering and finding ways to to turn those lessons and that adversity into, you know, achievements. That was real power, right? And then to go back now to the future generations who are coming up now 
and to share all of that, you know, that wisdom and those experiences that help them avoid those pitfalls and, and then support them as, as everybody makes new ones, you know, and, and this is kind of the wonderful season of life and, and the, the great space of restaurant, um, you know, and, and fresh food environments is that we all get to be in this world together and, and food people truly are like the most passionate. And I think the best people in the world, if I will say so myself. <laughs> Yeah, listen, I I can't. Uh, so uh, we're we're blessed of the fact that we've got these great opportunities for people to learn and engage and be educated, and and I'm even more blessed. We're all even more blessed. The fact that arms length away, we've got people like yourself that can help educate. So, coming up in the New England Food Show, I you know Renee, thank you for being a part of that education process. You'll be in center stage there. I think it's Monday the fourth, April fourth. Um, so I'm much looking April third. April third. See, you the same time that you said April third, Steve raised three fingers for me to correct me. I was corrected. I was corrected exactly the same time by two different two different mediums. Yeah, Carrie, you've been married for a long time. You used to be I'm exactly, and I'm married to a Brazilian woman. It makes it even more. Um, but anyways, I'm looking forward to it, and 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 I I I think it's going to be awesome because I think this is a blind spot for us in the industry, and you've got a good roadmap for people to understand how to go. So. Yeah, thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope everybody heads over there. I can't wait to see everyone talk about all these things. Renee, we'll get you out of here on the lightning round powered by Sprague Energy. Are you ready? I don't know. Let's go. (laughs) All right. Seinfeld, Modern Family or The Office? Oh, Seinfeld. Okay. It's the rare Saturday. We have nothing on the schedule. What are we going to find you doing? Well, that just doesn't exist around here. I have a three-year-old, but... um, We'll be baking in the kitchen. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, I know you have California roots, so you might be biased in this one, but Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Oh, boy. I mean, can I say neither? Can we, <laughs> can we just skip over the whole, I know, that's not very New England. Of you me, wouldn't but. be the first one to say neither uh, on this broadcast. <laughs> Today, so. But I will, I want to give credibility to Tom Brady because, you know, of all of the things to see somebody with so much, you know, athletic prowess at his age and to crack open that door, I think has just done wonders for all of us. And so I'm really grateful to that, like celebrating the experience and, and the, the possibility that comes with age. So thank okay. you, Tom, for that. All right. Okay. Uh, we don't have favorite restaurants on the MRA at the MRA. They're all our favorites, but what is your favorite genre of restaurant? Oh, Mexican food, hands down. Okay. No equivalent. Excellent. What is the what is the last concert you attended or what is the next concert you will be attending? The last concert I attended, um, ooh, that I mean, this is kind of embarrassing. It was a long time ago. I mean, like at least five or six years. It was a U two concert at the Rose Bowl. All right. It, nice. was, it was phenomenal. I mean, if you're gonna pick a band and pick a location, I mean, those are the two that, those are two boxes to check. That that's pretty good. With a three year old with a three year old, I was gonna thought you might have said the wiggles. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, that was the last live concert. <laughs> Uh, beer, wine, whiskey, or something mixed? Oh, wine. I'm not allowed to have tequila anymore, so just wine. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right, Massachusetts dessert, Massachusetts-based dessert question. We're going a fribble, a Twinkie, a table talk pie, or a fluffernutter? Well, I mean, can I also say none of the above? You, Boston cream pie. You know, that one? It, it, in our last conversation, we actually talked about adding the Boston cream right. pie as a potential. Right. Um, I mean, it's an enigma wrapped up in deliciousness. It's it's like, is it a pie? Is it a cake? 
I mean, I don't know, but it's it's amazing. And yeah. I, that's that would be my answer. I'm sorry, I'm not playing by the rules. All right, we have new rules. You can edit the answers. That's fine. We, you know, we're, <laughs> we, we, we play fast and loose with the rules of the Sprague Energy Lightning Round. Here's our final question. Which Boston team, because I know you're a big Boston fan, even though you keep telling us California is home, home in your heart, but which Boston team is going to be the next one to celebrate a championship on a duck boat parade to the streets of Boston? The Bruins. The Bruins. Okay. A lot of Bruins love uh, recently. You know, that's a question that evolves over the months too, depending on where people are. So <laughs> thank you for coming on. Renee Gilbo. She's the founder of Assayer Food Consulting. She will be at the New England Food Show on April 3rd. And she has a new book coming out in January 2023, A Taste of Opportunity, An Insider's Guide to Boosting Your Career, Making Your Mark, and Changing the Food Industry from Within. Can't wait to check it out. Renee, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Together We Win, the Massachusetts Restaurant Association podcast. Produced by the Massachusetts Restaurant Association in partnership with Image Unlimited Communications and Red 13 Studios. For more information on the Massachusetts Restaurant Association, please visit themassrest.org. Thank you. You've been listening to Together We Win, the MRA podcast. For any information on this podcast or any other episode, visit us at our website, themassrest.org.